This is the best of daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson from Believer's Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Go to jfbelievers.com for more information. Today we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Just coming out of that very powerful chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, Jesus, having thus spent time instructing his apostles on what was clearly some serious doctrinal truths, he did so in very rapid-fire succession, and now it seems he's returning to individual subjects in that address of 15 to elaborate in greater detail. He begins now this discourse of John 16 by telling the apostles that all that he had been telling them was essentially to brace them for what was coming. Throughout Scripture, and we know it to be true in various ways and in various places, the warning is given to be careful that you do not fall from the faith. And thus he begins verse 1 by saying, I have said these things to you, that being all of chapter 15, I have said these things to you so that you wouldn't, be caused to stumble. Now, if you're a student of the Word, you know that we are repeatedly given this heads up about stumbling in hopes that we indeed do not fall. Thus, it's clear that we are indeed able to do so. Matthew 13.21 says, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when oppression or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And then later in Matthew, chapter 26, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Psalm 17, 5 says, My steps have held fast to your paths, my feet have not slipped. So as we get into chapter 16 here, it's clear that Jesus is not going to pull any punches. He does not soft pedal it or attempt to paint the disciples' walk as more rosy than it actually was. You see, the real fact was that things would indeed be getting worse for the boys, just as certainly as they will for Christians in our day. Historical record tells us how each apostle would eventually die brutal and deeply sacrificial deaths, except perhaps the apostle John, although it wasn't that the enemies of the faith didn't try. Apparently, they attempted to boil John to death in hot oil, but he would not die, so they banished him to the island of Patmos. Now, clearly, he did not die because God simply was not done with him yet. After all, He still had the book of Revelation to write. This reality, as well as the reality of modern faithful servants of God giving their lives for the kingdom, well, it's all something that defies our American, modern version of Christianity. It seems we have embraced rather a belief today that the whole premise of Christianity is for me to somehow recite a sinner's prayer and then spend the rest of my life rehabbing myself like a vintage car I keep in my garage to fix up on the weekends. But that's not biblical Christianity. And that's certainly not what Jesus taught. 
We have been saved to praise the Son, glorify the Father, and further His kingdom. And with nearly 7 billion people sharing space on this earth, the very best estimates say that 5 billion of them do not know Christ and are on the road to an eternity of darkness. You see, Christianity is never about us four and no more. It is rather about them out there. And it is our calling, every one of us, to take the faith to them. So Jesus herein was warning concerning what we already know, and that is the fact that a lot of folks simply are going to crash and burn before they get to the finish line, before they are able to actually complete the race. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. Look, the greatest danger the disciples would confront from the opposition of the world was not death, but rather apostasy. For few of us will actually die for our faith, but indeed many of us will turn back before we finish. Moving out of God's place of blessing, out of his place of uh, joy and peace and walk, and then we cut off our relationship and our communication with him. Psalm 66, 18, speaking of this, says, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened. Many more of us, of course, will try turning away from a committed discipleship, but still hold on to our salvation. Of course, this is impossible, and indeed a spiritual lie, but we'll try it anyway, spending our lives thereafter simply spiritually impotent. We will go on to do nothing for God or anyone other than ourselves, and all the while, we'll still tend to believe that we will joyously spend eternity in heaven actually doing, well, what we never wanted to do here. How is it that we believe that the indwelling Holy Spirit, one who never speaks of himself but always of Christ, would somehow fill our being so that we can focus on ourselves and not on Jesus Christ? Verse 2 of our text says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers a service to God. You know, we so often envision the enemy to be the blatant outsider, the typical pagan individual. Yet this verse leads us to a truth that most of us are already aware of, albeit loath to acknowledge. And that is that most of, at least much of, the persecution of the faithful disciple of Christ will come from what is clearly the inside of the religious establishment. Now, these folks do not believe they are rejecting God at all. Rather, they are simply rejecting you. And by that, thus the scriptural version of God, oh, they want religion. They want redemption and they want eternal life. They just don't want any Lord over them, nor do they want a disciple's life. They don't want the sacrifice or the walk of holiness. And furthermore, they think these things are mere, things are merely optional, non-essential aspects of faith instead of what is the innate reflection of a life redeemed. Look, the fact is, the worst treatment and attacks that I have ever received as a pastor 
have come from those who call themselves Christians. They will lie, slander, and gossip. They will do all they can to hurt a person and their reputation by resorting to the worst of the worldly practices. And you see, they feel that their ungodliness is justified in order to, well, bring about godliness, <laughs> albeit their own version of such. So the end to them justifies the means. I have literally had them verbally acknowledge that they are sinning, but they tell me that it's necessary. Look, people today still want God. But having come full circle now, they just don't want Jesus. And they don't want those of us who believe in him and all he taught. They want a nice and comfortable suburban Christianity. Certainly not a radical die to myself and go to war faith. The one that Christ is calling us to in his word. They will just flat out reject obedience to those things. Furthermore, they'll hate you for reminding them and thus convicting them. The fact remains that according to verse 2, what they do to you, they do because they do not know Christ. This is again one of the strong evidences that mere confession of belief does not make a Christian. In fact, it is rather the quantifiable manifest of the presence of deity in one's life. A changed lifestyle. A powerful passion for God powerful passion for his service and a love for the brethren and all of these things will last until you're dead look it doesn't matter that these folks go to church and carry a bible they hate you and they'll call down fire from heaven upon you if they can they will elicit every dark and hateful manifestation of satan to try to bring you down now, that's not to bum you out or, or to rain on your parade, but we must see that this situation uh, is a reality, albeit not a prohibition upon reaching out to a lost world. In fact, it's quite the contrary, really. Jesus is not warning us here into hunker down and move into the compound away from everyone unredeemed. In fact, Jesus wants just the opposite from us. However, he wanted them and us to know just what it was that we're getting into. You know, we're called in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 to, quote, test all things and hold firmly that which is good, end quote. Now that warning is a calling, not for fear or retribution, but preparation. And these kind of decisions must be made before we're faced with the battle. Knowledge and training must ensue. We must acknowledge that we have herein been forewarned, and it's now up to us to ready ourselves. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. To learn more about Tim Dodson or Believer's Church, visit jfbelievers.com.